Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey. I'd Skills. call him a charming Boras. That's what I'd call Perfect. Okay, Perfect yeah, description. Okay. But he's a true gentleman. Oh, they all. Everybody loves him. Judd Zolgad. I think that he's sort of the Steve Bartman of the Twin Cities. Yes. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Putting fake money where their big mouths are. Money talks. Then a game that I pick. Believe me, it's a winner. What I know could get you rich. Because all I pick is winners. Money talks. Mackie and Judd are picking games for this weekend against the spread. Are they pros or Joes? Let's find out. Big developments in our standings. Dave Harrigan's feeling good. And it's actually pretty impressive that someone can go 5-0 and twice in three weeks and still be tied for yeah, last shut place. Shut up. <laughs> shut up. That shows the ineptitude that we saw early in the schedule. Uh, actually, the three of us are separated by just one game. And uh, Judd still has the lead. After a three and two week, 34, 25 and one against the spread. Dave went five and zero, jumps to 33, 26 and one. And I stayed steady at three and two, but dropped to last place because Dave won the week. Tied with Dave in the standings at 33, 26 and one. Todd Furman, your teachings have rubbed off on us. We're all profitable. I'm so proud. It's like a teacher. I know it's a four to five year program. So while there were a couple blips on the radar, you know, two steps forward, three steps back at certain junctures. You guys are making me very proud. But I, but I also want to know, in this equation, have you guys outlined the stakes for what the loser has? That may be incentive enough to try and get one of you guys out of the cellar. Well, we know what the stakes wound up being last year, which included embarrassing acts in front of state fair uh, audiences. And so we're going to leave it up to once once the, the, the standings are decided, we're going to leave it up to the listening audience to pick the embarrassing onstage punishments at next year's state fair again. I like it. You know, you guys are raising the stakes a little bit, and it forces big-time players uh, to rise to the occasion. <laughs> and as we know in the National Football League, it's not how you start. All those winners you put on the books in September and October mean nothing if you don't close with a flourish. Tiger Woods, sir. Uh, Harrigan informed us that uh, his odds to win the Masters went from what, Dave, 66-1? to 1? Uh, Down to 33-1, to 1, uh, courtesy of Bavada. Yes, is what is going on when one round of golf can alter things in a place where ordinarily there is no emotion attached? That is a sports book that is known to cater to largely recreational bettors prone to overreacting. So rather than creating liabilities and collecting all the money you possibly could, uh, they know full well the folks are going to bet Tiger Woods, even if they offered him at three to one. Uh, so it just allows them to stay out ahead of the curve. It has nothing to do with his on-course performance. I'm not sure that Tiger will even be playing into the weekend at Augusta in April. Uh, but sports books know he still is a household name. He still generates all sorts of fan interest. 
so they can stay out ahead of it uh, and realize no sense in creating you know six-figure liabilities if Tiger were to catch lightning in a bottle in some capacity, just given that is the one course of the four majors that probably is most conducive uh, to winning that next title. Todd, 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 Phil is very upset right now. He loves Tiger. He, uh, t- Tiger's a part of my childhood from 20 yes. years ago, and so... Tiger just piped one 340 on the first hole and then stuck a freaking wedge within four feet for a birdie tap-in. How can you not be excited? You know what? I, everyone in the sports world, especially golf enthusiasts, would love Tiger Woods to be relevant. I'm just not sure that that back is going to be able to hold up for the grind and the pressure that will be put on him uh, for 72 holes. We saw it before in some of these tournaments. He's great on you know the first 36, and then he starts to wear down a bit. But uh, I might sign off on, on delivering Tiger's expectations and trying to improve some of that outlook if he's able to at least finish top five this weekend in the Hero World Challenge. So Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast. Uh, in fact, before we get into our five games this week here, including Vikings and Falcons, uh, tell people what they can find on your platforms here this week going into the, uh, the final month of the NFL season. Yeah, all the biggest games in the NFL each weekend from here on out. We cover uh, also record on Mondays as we recap what we saw over the weekend while paying special attention to that Monday Night Football game. I know for a lot of sports bettors out there, every now and again they want an inkling of where the professionals are going should they have to dig out of that unfortunate hole. Uh, we did offer up a best bet this weekend as well in one of the NFL late games, but if folks want to hear that, they're going to have to tune in and check it out. Todd Furman uh, guiding us to uh, winning records here in the standings. Uh, Judd remains in first place by a game ahead of both Dave and I at 33 and 26 and one. So because Dave went five and zero last week, I moved on to last place. So it'll go Judd, Dave, Phil in the uh, the picks this week, starting with New England on the road, eight and a half point favorites over Buffalo. Okay, so the Patriots, gentlemen, are coming off a double digit line against the Dolphins that they covered. Now seven and four against the spread this season, five straight covers. The Bills against the spread have lost three of their past four. This is prepped out, Judd. Here. The spread is well, and, and and Todd mocked me for my historical prep, so I ditched that. Now this is all recent prep. The Patriots are big favorites, but I'm taking the Patriots. David? I am going to disagree with you. That 8.5 just seems a little bit too inflated for me. Sure, Patriots could beat them by uh, 35 points, but with the game in Buffalo, I think it stays a little bit tighter than that. You know, my historical prep includes some uh, some Jim Kelly against uh, whoever the hell the quarterback Steve was. Grogan, Steve maybe? Grogan, mm-hmm. back in the Tecmo Super Bowl days. Uh, actually, my, my prep for this is very simple. Buffalo is resurgent in the post-Peterman era. Buffalo keeps it close. Phil, I had to dig into some of the historicals because I know I try to tell you that it's not indicative of what you're going to see, but here's some numbers, guys, to keep in mind. Over the 17 years of dominance the Patriots have had over the Bills, 29-5 and against Buffalo under Bill Belichick since 2000, 15-2 record in Orchard Park. The best part about that, those 15 wins for Bill Belichick in Orchard Park are more at, in Buffalo than any Bills head coach has been able to do since Wade Phillips in the 1998-2000 to 2000 era. Ugh. New England Patriots 29-14 and 14 against the spread the last 43 times they've been favored. But honestly, professionals still not sold. They're backing Buffalo here. I think this is too big a price tag hmm. with the resurgent Bills under Tyrod Taylor's leadership. Kansas City, another road favorite here. Three-point favorites over the Jets. Judd? I, I keep thinking that the Chiefs are going to uh, break out of the slump that they are in. Uh, however, if uh, if the Jets are getting points and the Jets are at home and the Jets aren't nearly as big a dumpster fire as we thought they might be, although they've lost five or six, 
I am going to take the home team. I'll take the Jets. Hmm, interesting. This is where I pull ahead of Judd in the standings, but Kansas, because Kansas City, if they are ever going to get right, ever going to get healthy, it will be this week. They beat the Jets, and they do it by more than three. This is a classic. Like This number would have been a billion two weeks ago, and so I'll take the discount on Kansas City, Todd. You know what's interesting, guys? This number opened five, and there was professional money coming in on the Jets here that drove the price all the way down to three. But much like you guys, I think this is the ultimate buy-low opportunity for Kansas City in the market. You do worry about potential swirling wins uh, at MetLife Stadium with Alex Smith's pop-gun arm, and this Kansas City office <laughs> can't get out of its own way. But you eventually reach rock bottom, and this creates some opportunity. It was only a few weeks ago where Kansas City was in this exact same building laying 10 to the New York Giants. I don't think the Giants are a full touchdown worse than or better, excuse me, than the uh, Jets on a neutral field. There's some value here in Kansas City. Those are trade wins that are going to be swirling around with uh, pop Alex gun arm. Is wins. one of my favorite lines of this entire show today. Yeah. Thank you. Every now and again, I have to try and raise the bar a little bit for you, boys. <laughs> Somebody does. <laughs> uh, New Orleans. This is this is a, a juicy game here. New Orleans at home, four and a half point favorites over Carolina. I love this game uh, in in the sense that I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't have a great feel for the Saints. I've been wrong on them. I think this is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Phil, the third consecutive week that you put them on our list. But uh, since they're at home, I am going to take the Saints. Wow, this is going to be a big week of movement. Give me the Panthers, boys. They've been a team that can surprise you this year. and. They've been uh, pretty decent last few weeks. I like the Panthers to maybe win it outright. Uh, this is a, if this game were being played, I think the home field advantage sway either way in this one is is a huge deal. So again, I'm I'm going with some pretty simple analysis. Carolina can't throw the ball, and this might this might be a track meet type game where you're going to have to score a bunch of points to beat the uh, the home New Orleans Saints. And this is maybe maybe the most versatile Saints offense we've seen in years if not ever, under uh, under Drew Brees and Sean Payton. So I will take the Saints by like a touchdown, Todd. Some major injury concerns that have played a role in terms of where the professionals were electing to go. Marcus Lattimore expected to be out there along with Ken Crawley, the top two corners that were not available in the Saints' loss last weekend to the Rams. Carolina dealt the unfortunate blow a little earlier today, losing talented defensive end Charles Johnson to four games for PED suspension. So that'll change their ability to get pressure on Drew Brees and company. Uh, You look at Carolina, they were extremely fortunate last weekend to get out of MetLife Stadium with a win against the Jets, where they were outgained by more than a yard net yards per play. Uh, New Orleans, this number at four, four and a half, it's going to continue to tick up. The Saints get back in the win column, and they get the cover, if you believe the professionals out there. Boom. Uh, Philadelphia on the road as a five and a half point favorite in Seattle. I would I would take the Eagles in this game if it were in Philadelphia, but it's not. Seattle's defense does have some problems, uh, certainly banged up in the secondary. Russell Wilson, though, at home, if you're going to give me five and a half points, I'm going to take those points. So while I think there's a chance that the Eagles actually win this game, I am going to take Seattle. Yeah, I, I do side with you on this one. Eagles could run them right out of there. But being that it's in Seattle, the 12th man might have a sway in this one. Seattle for the... Uh, to eat into the five and a half. Uh, the Eagles are due for a letdown of some kind. And just like you guys said, Seattle, I, maybe Todd has some insight. When's the last time they were almost a touchdown underdog at home? That's way too many points. I'll take Seattle. It has been quite some time since Seattle has caught this many points over a field goal in their own building. And you guys are all on the side of the professionals here. This number opened three. It's ballooned out to five and a half, even six in some spots. 
Uh, and that was professionals just trying to get out ahead of it, knowing that they'd have an opportunity to come back. The general public continues to latch on to the Philadelphia ATM train. The Eagles have now covered eight straight games. You have to go back to September 24th to find the last time that they were saddled with an L in the only category that matters in this business. But you look at Philadelphia, and I'm not going to say they're smoke and mirrors, but still some skepticism out there. They only have one win against a team with a winning record. That came on a Thursday night against Carolina, a very difficult place to play against a desperate Seahawks team who needs every win they can get to stay relevant in the NFC playoff picture. And finally, Atlanta. This is a desperate Atlanta team because there's a, there's just, I think it's a race to like 11 wins in the NFC, and uh, and they're sitting at 7-4, and four, so... Three-point favorites at home against our Vikings. Judd? Uh, this is uh, speaking from a purely practical standpoint. I have been riding the Vikings train for weeks now, and it works. Mike Zimmer's teams cover spreads. So this has nothing to do with the Vikings being hot or ho- hoping that they win. This has to do with the fact that, pure and simple, Zimmer's teams cover spreads, and so I'm going to take the points and the Vikings. The Vikings are due to lose a game, but I'm not sure it'll be against it. Atlanta because they are due to lay an egg just as well they're they could lay an egg as easy as they could blow the Vikings out so yes Vikings while they may not win I think they keep it very very tight and maybe get that win in Atlanta yeah we uh, we did almost a full hour in the nine o'clock and I gave you three reasons why I think the Vikings are going to prevail in this game on Sunday including the fact that every team that looks hot and looks like they're rolling offensively when they run into the Vikings they run into a brick wall the Rams the Lions, the Saints' worst game of the year came against the Vikings. And so I think the Vikings find a way to pull this one out, win it outright. Todd? You boys have mentioned the Vikings' point spread dominance over the last 44 games, betting the purple blindly, 31-13 and 13 against the number. The last 19 times the Vikings have played in a dome, regardless of location, 15-4 and four against the spread. Yeah. And the last 28 games they've played on that lovely synthetic surface. 22-6 and six against the number. You look at the Vikings, they've covered six straight now, and they've run the football effectively for over 100 yards in five out of those six. They've held their opposition under 100 yards in five out of those six. Yes, Atlanta gets Devontae Freeman back. It's been 33 games since the Vikings played the Falcons, and during that 33-game span, the Vikings have allowed a grand total of two wide receivers to gain over 100 yards. Expect Xavier Rhodes to travel with Julio Jones, taking away the Falcons' best weapon in the passing game. And while Atlanta's offense has gotten on track, professionals gobbling up the three on the Vikings, I expect this number to close under a field goal. Yeah, you know, we just, on the receiver front, we went back the last couple years and just found some of the star receivers against the Vikings defense, Todd, like the Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Larry Fitzgerald, Jordy Nelson. Uh, Mike Evans... Probably the best performance of that group against the Vikings defense. Seven catches for a dink and dunk 67 yards. They shut they shut guys down. Yeah, it's been incredible. I mean, Zimmer knows. He comes from that Bill Belichick school of thought. You're going to neutralize the opponent's best weapon and force them to beat you with some of their secondary options. Uh, you, you hit it on talking about Antonio Brown and the fact that the Vikings were able to clamp down. Even in a game they were blown out in, in Pittsburgh, they were not going to let Brown beat them in the passing game. And I think Atlanta, when you look at some of their secondary options, whether it's Taylor Gabriel, Muhammad Sanu, Julio Jones will not be going for 200-plus yards and ridiculous-type fantasy video game numbers like he did last weekend in the Falcons win against the Bucks. Yep. Our awesome stuff, Todd. Enjoy uh, a great weekend of college and NFL football, and we'll catch up next Friday. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Good luck with your picks. This is getting tight down the stretch. It's fun to watch unfold. Yep. Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast. Yeah, a friend of ours for the last few years on this radio station, and he's been uh, he's worked at Caesars Palace, Fox Sports One, CBS Sports Network. So that's good stuff. The Tiger um, thing makes sense now, though. 
So that's that's basically yeah. Bovada is much yeah, more of a, like a mainstream. I didn't know that, that. I didn't. I didn't know that that they were influenced by fans. Basically, yeah. so that makes sense. Still fun though. It's still and I think just to see him, you know, he's walking around and he's holding a golf club. Like that's well, good for, for something. For now, he is. Uh, here comes a little six foot birdie tap in for Tiger. He gets looks, a five hundred. Oh, he looks a little gimpy right there. Uh, we, we got a lot more to get to. Mike Morris, the superstar, will join us coming back to the show here in the noon hour. It's a game show Friday. Mackie and Judd. He and Judd now continue. Wow! Guess what I've always wanted. On fifteen ESPN. Oh, it's uh, birdies chirping. Yeah, birdies. That's because Tiger Woods just won off the lead now, and all you want to do is, all you want to do is mock me for my childhood idol, Tiger Woods, one of the one of the four or five childhood idols. Yeah, that's good. I used to think this was a bit. I'm sorry, those are those are just Tiger's birdies. I used to think this was a bit by Phil, and a pretty good one at that. It's not. It's not a bit. No. No, and it's so. Not a bit. I so, never thought it was a good one, but I knew it was real. I, it didn't bother me. I, I sort of liked it, but now my question is is very, very simple. Who's going to pick up the pieces? Who's going to pick up the pieces? Like the literal pieces of Tiger on the golf course when well, they flying off? Those two, but I'm talking more about with Phil when he collapses on the course, when he doubles over. Don't you think? Don't you think football is more fun when... The Tom Brady's and the Aaron Rodgers oh, are operating at full I, strength. Yeah, I'm not trying to put Tiger down. I think if Tiger is back and and he can be successful now, it would be a great story. That'd be fantastic. I'm fairly certain that he's going to collapse on the course. If this drive he's about to hit goes in the rough, Phil, would you cry? No, I, I, he can drop a couple strokes now. I mean, he's... Oh, look at that. He twirled the club. Yeah. Yeah, he likes it. He didn't even watch it land because it's right down the middle. Oh, he piped it. Perfect kick to the right. Um, there is something... I don't know. There's something about those when you, there's that impressionable age between like eight and fifteen, whatever that sweet spot is, where you just get a little more emotionally attached to teams and athletes. It's it's you growing up with the North Stars, sure, in the late seventies, early eighties, sure. Um, you know, it's for me, it's Tiger Woods, Dale Earnhardt, rest in peace. Yeah, he's, yep. <laughs> Anything yeah. wrestling related from that era, like The Rock, well, Hulk, Stone didn't, Cold. Didn't you love Hulk? Hulk, I, I, I was more of an ultimate warrior guy when I was a little kid right. and then realized how much of a psycho he was later on in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a total... Ru- and then as a kid, you listen to that guy's promos and you think, yeah, like the warrior, gonna yeah, put everyone on his back. And then you listen now as an adult and it's literally three minutes of hallucinations. So He was a terrible wrestler too. <laughs> terrible at promos and terrible wrestler, but had... A lot of muscles. But he had, yeah, the tassel things coming <laughs> off his arms and just ripped out of PEDs. Exactly. So, Well, no, and I think if Tiger is truly back, it's a fantastic story. I what, just, what would you say your, from your sweet spot of like nine years old, so for you late 70s through mid-1980s, yeah. what are the things that you, that really bring back that nostalgia? So the, the, the North Stars, obviously. Yeah, Met Stadium, Met Center. Definitely does. Are there any players or people or specific teams or? Well, I suppose when they did the outdoor game uh, a couple years ago um, for the North Stars before the uh, before the outdoor classic or or whatever the hell they called that game, uh, that was really cool. Jill Malash playing goal was awesome. The only thing is, the problem with the Tiger thing is, and I'm not I'm not being flip, flippant here. Oh, sorry, it's, yeah, it's another birdie. It's he's just. Sorry, it's just Tiger's birdies. His backs are so hard to to return from. And this is surgery, what? He's had three or four procedures done. So that's the thing about this. That And hey, you know what? If it works, 
That's great. This one's different. Though. I don't. But I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to think now. Now that you ask me this, I'm trying to think about anybody I stayed attached to. Like I stayed attached to teams, the mm-hmm. North Stars, those Twins teams. Uh, I'm trying to think of individuals that I stayed attached. To. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember the last athlete who retired, and I was sort of melancholy or saddened by it because that was that was the last of that era. And I don't know that I can think of that player. I, this is an incomplete list here, but I would say the things that when I was a teenager I got attached to, or like a you know nine or ten or eleven years old, and and all the way through till college, that I still stand by today. And I'm not saying that I stand by Tiger's off-the-course behavior all the time, but Tiger Woods, mm-hmm. wrestling, I'm a wrestling geek. Mm-hmm. People make fun of me for that. That's fine. Whatever. Like, people watch TV shows. I watch wrestling. And, and it's fun. And wrestling and wrestling is 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 way more cartoonish, though. So Not like, as much anymore. It used to be way more cartoonish where everyone had a character. But I'm saying, like, like this is a real sports hero. Uh, James was. James Bond movies and Rocky movies are on that list, too. Wow, okay. Just grew up watching them nonstop. Okay. So those are... I think it's harder to become nostalgic about things the older you get. You know, it's it's harder if you're in your 30s or 40s for a movie series to come out, and all of a sudden now you're I, all in on that movie series. I think that's true for a lot of people. I don't think that's true across the board. When you look at, go to a Vikings game, man, and there's a lot of guys your age and my age that I think would disagree vehemently with what you just said. Well, no, but they're not becoming Vikings fans for the first time no, in their no, 40s. No, They've but been I'm Vikings saying, fans since they were kids. I get that, but they but they look at a guy like Diggs or Thielen or Keenum, and and they they have an appreciation and love for that player that I, I might have had for Tommy Kramer. And yet they're my age. Yeah, That's what I think is interesting. But I mean, but but their fandom, your fandom starts whether it's with for me with Tiger Woods or the Vikings when you're super impressionable. I'm talking about come when when something new comes along. If you're 40 years old and a new hockey team comes to Vegas, you're gonna like the hockey team, but you're probably not gonna be super emotionally rooted attached. Frank, you're out with Mackie and Judd. Yeah, I was just gonna tell you guys. You can be as old as you want to be, but if you can appreciate somebody for what they do, and Tiger falls into that category as a golfer, he can do things with a golf ball and a golf club that most human beings can't. Where most guys are saying, I got to take a drop, he's figured out a way to get out and make the shot. He knows what's going to happen before it happens, and I appreciate that. Um, in his heyday, I love the fact that he came on the course. And everybody said, "Crap, he showed up." Yeah, because they knew they didn't have a chance to play. They were they were playing for second and third place. Yeah, it's true. You know and, what? Oh, sorry, Frank. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I hope he gets back to where he can play on, you know, competitively. And yeah, maybe he's still not going to be able to pull out that shot where he's amongst the trees and he hits it straight up, you know, eighty yards and brings it back down twenty five yards. Drops it in the middle of the green, three feet from the cup. But I, I, I think he's good for the game personally. Uh, it, it does make it a lot more fun, Frank. Thank you for the phone call. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. And the cool part about this comeback story to this point anyways, fourth back surgery, apparently over the last several months, a lot of the top players in the world have been helping him to get back to this point, just helping him with practice rounds and swing and uh, going to the driving range, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas, and these guys—they've been—they look at Tiger Woods differently than maybe NFL teams look at Brady and Belichick. Where you're saying, 
We want those guys out of the league because they win every year, and we want them gone. Golfers are saying, even though it might make our lives more difficult, we want Tiger Woods back at the top because we want to compete against him on a Sunday in a red shirt. I also think that Tiger, um, to a certain degree, is perceived as Babe Ruth. Like, if you're a great player in in any team sport now, and you come along short of Jordan, I don't know that that the perception of, of you, perhaps LeBron, but I think the perception is, okay, you're a great player, but you have followed this line of great players. I think Tiger changed this game so drastically and so much that the perception of him is, he's he's Ruth. He is a hero to everybody. Yeah, a lot or of these guys... Was. The Dustin Johnsons or the Ricky Fowlers. Let's see, Ricky Fowler's got got to be what twenty six or twenty seven somewhere in there. So he was when Tiger was at his best twelve years ago. Ricky Fowler was in that impressionable age. So it's got to be kind of cool when you're you're better than him now if you're Ricky Fowler. But mm-hmm. to try and help your hero maybe get back at the back end of his prime. So I don't know. It's fun, and uh, maybe he throws his back out. But as a guy who grew up watching Tiger in the mid to late nineties, and he's the reason why I started becoming a hacky golfer. It's it's fun to watch. Um, well, we got we'll do a couple more things here before superstar Mike Morris joins the show in the noon hour. We should get back to our 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 list of of levels that we should consider for honoring former players because the Wild violated it last oh, yeah. night for sure. Yes, it went sideways. Uh, they I don't know that was I I wasn't there but you were and that was I can explain it again egregious. Yes. But I want to talk to you about the multiple stages of fan emotion and how it impacts two specific general managers in this town when we come back. But first, a word for one of the close friends of 1500 ESPN and the Mackey and Judd show for a number of years, Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 in Brooklyn Boulevard, where you can get a good look up close and personal at a 2018 Toyota Camry. All kinds of upgrades, a new sleek, sporty exterior, many more safety features on the interior, and also an 8-inch multimedia touchscreen as part of the upgraded technology, which has intuitive pinch-and-zoom navigation. That might sound familiar to you if you have uh, a phone that's not a flip phone. The new Entune 3.0 system also speaks to your style with a customizable home screen and standard Entune app suite. We're talking about Yelp. Uh, Pandora, 1500 ESPN on uh, various platforms, even on the radio. Obviously, you can grab it on that console. You can you can book a dinner reservation on the on the console I'm talking to you guys about. So go check it out for yourself. Holiday season, surprise somebody with a 2018 Camry at Luther Brookdale Toyota. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. We do love our grumps. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Boivu handling with Riley Smith in the corner. Miller, a long shot, save, Dubnik, rebound, and a sprawling save by Dubnik. He got the paddle on it. We talked about it. It's not easy when you have a lead in the third and team comes in and gets two goals, and then you just dig your shoes in and you come back and you win the game. So as for that, that's that was really good. Thoughts on uh, uh, Matt and uh, Suits as a pairing first? Yeah, I thought they were good tonight. I mean, if you look, I think Matt had seven or eight shots uh, which is more than any defenseman's had in our team this year. I think if you look, uh, we had something like 18 shots from the back end, which is is a, an awful lot for us. 
And uh, when you do that and you shoot it, you get opportunities in front of the net. Suits. Suits. You guys are so tight. Suits and dumbs. You they put were your you great put, last night. You put your arm around suits and then you stab him right in the side of the rib cage hey, with I your do pen. What I, I do what I gotta do, okay? <laughs> and I figured I figured the best I told you before, I knew that Harrigan would pull my question because he always does, and I'm fine with that. That's great. Suits. But I figured I could say Ryan. But what fun would that be when I call him suits? And I knew that Bruce would play along by giving me an answer that's, off suits. That's devotion to the show right there. Knowing how your teammates are. That was, yes. that was a, a telepathic communication to Dave Harrigan. I have a question for you here. Uh, this kind of goes back to our conversation yesterday about Chuck Fletcher and his expiring contract. Mike Russo from The Athletic is reporting Chuck Fletcher's contract is up at the end of this season. And this season, despite the win last night, is not going well. They're out of the playoff picture right now. They're about a third of the way into this thing. Zach Parisi, he's at least back on skates, but who knows when he's going to come back and what he's going to be able to give you. Uh, and and they're just, they haven't had any really emerging stars. I mean, Mikhail Granlin, there's like 10 defensemen in yeah. the league that have more goals than he does since he came into the league, and he's a forward. So, I call him Granny. Granny. You guys are tight. On Chuck Fletcher, though, Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to put Rick Spielman in this conversation, too, because mm-hmm. the Vikings have a chance to do something special, but odds are they will get beat at some point, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Is it is it always necessary to fire or part ways with a general manager or a coach who comes up short of a championship? Because I feel like... I feel like there's multiple stages of fan emotion and media emotion mm-hmm. or a bell curve, if you will, mm-hmm. where if you don't reach a championship, negative emotion swells up to the point where, oh, we have to make, if you, if you can't, if you get past the early honeymoon stage in the early excitement stage and you get to that middle ground where you're pretty good, but you're not championship good, that it always results in a firing and I question that. I'm not saying that like every GM, you know, just because you get to the playoffs, you should always keep your job. But I question how often a non-championship coach or GM is told get out of here because of torch carrying, pitchfork wielding fans and media. I'm going to put this as surgically as possible for you. Surgically? I'm going to make this as surgical as possible. It's plateau points. Yeah, you you lose your you keep your job or lose your job based on plateau points. Okay, if the, is that always right though? If the well, in Spielman and Fletcher's case, let's play that this out. Spielman's been in charge now. Now he joined the Vikings in '06, but he's been in charge of personnel moves and basically, as far as we know, the 53 man roster since '11, I believe. And in that time, what you've had is a team that's gotten uh, to the playoffs. I believe twice in that time they lost to the Packers in the first round in 2012. Is that right? Yeah. And then they lost uh, in in the first round on the Walsh miss, obviously, in 2015. I was prepared going into this year to look at what Spielman did after last season's collapse, which was partially brought on by his moves of not uh, accumulating more depth, especially on offense, and judge him. I think he's done a fantastic job of going out and and replenishing the roster. The offensive line has been re- remade. I look at what he's done and say, that's impressive. Um, when it comes to Fletcher's job, I th- but I think what you look at is say, okay, you signed Parisi and Suter, and that altered the franchise completely because you went from 
a stretch of non-playoff runs where your team was not good to consistently making the playoffs. But that has resulted since then in first and second round ousters. And, yeah. I, th- and I think where we can have this conversation is, is that plateau point sufficient? Or is that plateau point something that you think another executive or GM could get past? And, and I think oftentimes we think the answer is yes, mm-hmm. but 90% of the time the answer is no. Do you want to know, see, on Fletcher I'm torn. Because on Fletcher I look at some of his trades, and some have worked, but I look at some of his trades and moves and say, those have not worked. You, you've traded draft choices. Perfect example. You went and got Hansel at the trade deadline last year. And we all said, okay, great. This is going to be fantastic. You won one playoff game. Uh, where I side with him, though, and I feel for him is this. The Parisian suitor contracts, I'm sorry, I don't care what anybody says, you would go back and do that deal again a hundred times. It changed your franchise, and that day is the greatest free agency day in the history of pro sports in this town. There is nobody who, if you transplanted them back to that date, wouldn't do those contracts. And I don't fault him for the fact that the cap hasn't gone up. That's not his fault. I mean, any executive would have said, okay, the cap is going to rise, and therefore... While these contracts are huge and they could be, they could hurt us, we will be able to sign players. They can't. So that's where, and and there is no way, I mean, those contracts were done because ownership said do them. Yeah, I think like that's and, where it, this gets dicey. I guess where I mean, I'm not saying that Chuck Fletcher is, you know, should, should avoid all criticism because he's been very loose with trading draft picks that could maybe have landed you top young talent. And you know, there's been some moves he's made that haven't worked out quite as well. But if the if the question is, could another GM have come in, an available GM, by the way, have come in and done a better job? Well, every GM would have would given the green light, would have signed Parisian Suter. I mean, my God, those were the two best players in the free agent market that year of, in their primes. And of, you were instructed to as well. Yeah, of course you're going to sign those contracts. But sometimes you're just, you're good and you're playoff good. But you're not championship good, even though you've done the best you can do with, okay, it's a salary cap league. We got these two star players coming in, so we're not going to be drafting number one overall, really. Let's try and supplement the roster. Like, I I have, I just diagram this out for fun. This is what I'm talking about. This bell curve of fan and media emotion. The multiple stages of fan and media emotion mm-hmm. as the as the GM and coach are judged over time. Stage one is early excitement, a new beginning, right? Oh, the Gophers hired Tubby Smith. Everyone's excited because it's a new beginning. Oh, a new coach comes in. It's uh, you know, whoever. Like it's it's always early excitement. Almost no matter who gets hired, Tim from Tim Brewster yeah. to Mike Zimmer, yep. early excitement. Yep. And then stage number two is still that honeymoon stage. It's early success. Now, if you don't if you don't even get to stage two, then you're you're fired because like you have to you have to win to keep your job. So early success, that might be what the Twins are experiencing. Oh, Falvey and Levine, it's a new beginning. It's a lot of fun. Oh, and now the Twins are experiencing some early success. And Mike Zimmer the same way. Oh, it's a new new beginning, and now oh, the Vikings are going to the playoffs. And now they're playoffs two out of three years. Stage three is where fans and media start to get restless, which is what you're saying, that plateau stage, where regular season success becomes the norm, but playoff success and championship success uh, has yet to to arrive. Where okay, you're going to the playoffs. It's been five years for the Wild. It's been several years for the Timberwolves. Right. Um, and this is where you have to start parsing. Okay, are are the coach and GM 
actively preventing you from getting off that plateau to the next step? Right. Or is this the collection that you put together and it's a really good collection. It's, it's entertaining, but it's not championship caliber. Um, and, and what do you do from there? And mm-hmm. I think nine times out of 10, if not 10, those guys get fired and lumped into the same group while you're not, you've plateaued. So we must change. And then what happens? You hire Tim Brewster off Glenn Mason and you tank for five years, you what, know? What frustrates me about the wild is this, though. And, and I think this comes from above Fletcher, but it's the most difficult thing. When your owner looks at your team and says, okay, I'm paying, I'm paying two guys a ton. In, in his eyes, I've got a competitive team. On paper, they should win. But I look at that team and I say, and we have said the same things about the characters on that team for a long time. And I'm sorry, but chemistry is important, okay? Like, you can't just say, well, on paper, we look good. At some point in time, you have to say, why is it not working? And if the answer comes back, well, the personalities don't necessarily gel. I mean, the fact that Mike Yo left here and gave you a play-by-play without going into great detail about the fact that the older players and younger players couldn't coexist. And, and in the ideal world, in the right world, the veterans would have embraced the young players. That's where it gets frustrating to me, and you say, okay, what needs to happen for somebody to come in and say, one, the the point of actually being ultra-competitive is gone now, and two, we need to get this so that we give ourselves a chance to get back there. Sure, while also keeping in mind that if the only measurement for success as a coach or GM is championships, then pretty much everyone's going to get fired except for Bill Belichick. And there's not enough replacements that are quality to, to but in keep the, your team playing at a high-level playoff caliber. But in the Wilds' case, I'm talking about getting to the point where where you finally get past the second round. I'm, I'm talking about— Do you about, think another GM available could I, have done a better job than Chuck Fletcher these last few years? I think—no, here, here's where it gets, it gets very dicey to me. Maybe, but here is the way I'm beginning to feel. I think ownership is holding them to the players that they have— in this feeling that we should, that that in their minds, this group can win. And so if Chuck Fletcher goes back to them and says, no, no, they can't, there's a good chance he's just fired. So I think the most important thing is for ownership to be effective, to be very smart, but also to give that executive yeah. say on, on, on basically, come. I mean, the Koivu contract extension, Phil, makes no sense to me. Why, Why, when you know sure. where you're at and you're up against the cap, are you extending a guy in his 30s? Sure. Well, let me give you a, like a football, because I think, yeah, I mean, like we can sit here and we know we know that the, the Chuck Fletcher stuff is much more, we can parse that apart. Let me give you a football example of what I'm talking about here with like the multiple stages of, of fan and media angst. If you're the GM of the Atlanta Falcons, who, uh, Dimitrov, right? Thomas, Thomas Dimitrov. Dimitrov. I don't know. I can't remember if he's been there long enough to have drafted Matt Ryan. I don't think he's been there for 10 years. But just as an example, let's just make up a team, okay? Uh, It's a new team in the NFL, and I have a chance to draft a franchise quarterback, and I draft Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan's like the eighth-best quarterback in the league, which you'll totally take. Mm -hmm. Because if you try to replace him, you're almost certainly going to get a worse quarterback than Matt Ryan. But you don't have Tom Brady. You don't have Russell Wilson, who I think is better. You don't have Aaron Rodgers. Right. But you didn't fail by making Matt Ryan your quarterback, but you didn't build a team that's going to beat Tom Brady's team or beat Russell Wilson's team on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But it's possible you could get fired 
even though you made all the right strategic decisions as as the general manager. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. That we do that. Oh, well, we got to change. We got to fire. Well, anyone would have drafted that quarterback and been happy with the eighth best quarterback because you're not just going to like get the the third best quarterback. Right. You're going to get the eighth best quarterback and try to build a team. Right. And you're probably not going to beat a team on a regular basis or ever that has the first or second best quarterback. But that guy's going to get fired. Mm-hmm even though he maxed out the potential for the team that he oversaw. Mm-hmm. I just find that so fascinating in sports. Fire, fire, fire. But the question becomes... Chuck Fletcher is kind of the same way. Parisi and Suter are really good. They're not Kane and Taze and uh, and any number of the young stars in the league, Sidney Crosby, but any GM would have taken the opportunity to make the team instantly better by signing those two players. And yet, because you signed those two players, yep. you might have handicapped yourself to not be... Well, a championship caliber team. And that's my, what's that's the catch twenty two. Sure. And my question becomes then who who is who is is mandating signing guys to extensions now? And if it's it's the guy above Fletcher, guess what? It's not his fault then. But I think still gonna get fired. Yeah, but I think <laughs> I think what this comes down yeah. to is does your does your chief executive give you the best chance to put the pieces together to win? So it's not one player, it's not two players. It's does that person go out? Can they effectively continue and continue to have a fresh set of eyes, essentially, to on at least an every I don't know third year basis give you a chance to contend? Yeah, so and be really good. Uh, so yeah, Chuck Fletcher's contract is up. Rick Spielman is in kind of a but I mean show me mode here. Rick Spielman a year ago we we started to say hold on a second here. Your offensive line had no depth, wasn't that good to start with. There were so many things. I really thought going into the spring that he was in big trouble potentially, and I give him credit. And there's still people that can't stand him and think he should be fired. But if you look at the job that Rick has done, I think Rick has done a hell of a job. He has. 651-646-8255. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. They don't fool around. That's why people trust them. I know. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. 1500 ESPN. Visit St. Paul. The city of St. Paul and Wells Fargo invite you to experience Wells Fargo Winter Skate, a free outdoor artificially chilled ice skating rink in downtown St. Paul at Rice Park. It's open seven days a week, a week located in the heart of the city. Winter Skate creates a fun winter experience for visitors of all ages. All the details can be found at 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. Picked out to the line, Dumba with it. Dumba carries in, his shot, save, rebound! Stall scores! All right, boys, today starts uh, our first day of this idea. Mackie and Judd, rules of being a sports fan. We have, uh, going way back, talked about the rules for adults wearing jerseys to games. Yep. And if you can wear a player's jersey if they're active, and the answer to that is ordinarily no, uh, certainly great players from the past, you can. If the yeah, if the player is older than you, mm-hmm. or if it's an ironic, funny jersey, oh, it, it's acceptable yeah. under yep. the Mackie and Judd rules for being a sports fan. Yes. And now today brings up the second uh, venture to our rule book of being a sports fan, which is when can you honor... A player who played for your team, and it comes off of this. Last night at the X in the first period, during a break, in fact, sportsmanship jumped the bleeping shark. Eric Halla and Alex Tuck back in town with the Golden Knights, their first appearance with the expansion franchise after playing for the Wild. Eric Halla, okay, 42 goals, 89 points in 266 games over four years with the team here. What's I, his best season? Yeah, like, um, I think it was last year. I, I think it. I think it was last year. But 
nonetheless, at the same time that the Wild honored Eric Halla, they honored Alex Tuck as well and welcomed him back after he played in six regular season games for the team last season. And that was it. Yeah, I, listen, I like Eric Halla. Hey, awesome. This is not, this local, is not whatever. personal. Not uh, personal. 15 goals in a season was his best okay, in, in a wild uniform. And this is not. So, and this in no way is personal. This is this is the fact, and this and hockey violates this more than anybody. If you went to the bathroom in the arena and you come back, they honor you for it. <laughs> they give so, you a video. For if it. there is a a pecking order or sort of a a ladder of ways you can honor former players and the bin that they would fall in. The top shelf would be retiring a jersey. Yes. No one can ever wear that jersey ever again. Yes. And then the next shelf below that or the next rung below that would be a team hall of fame or ring of honor. So, hey, we love you. Michael Kadire, love you, but uh, we're still going to, people are still going to wear your jersey. Number sure. five ain't off limits here, right. but we're going to celebrate you. Right. And then the rung below that would be a video tribute. If you come back and there's a video tribute or something, Eric Holla doesn't rise to that level. I didn't think Ricky Rubio rose to that level. I Those guys are on the on fourth yes. rung, which would be some sort of a ceremonial something, right? A, a tip of the cap. Or a first pitch. But I think it's when or a let's play hockey. Maybe but, when you're done. But I think it's when you're done. Sure. Like Eric Hollis should not come back and get something. Now if he comes we need to back, raise our standards. Now now if if Eric comes back uh, to town at the age of 49 and he's retired and he's a fat jovial guy and he wants to say say it with me, Wild fans, let's play hockey. Okay, that that's fine. But my whole <laughs> thing is when you come back. I mean. Tory Hunter came back here in what, 2008? Uh, like, yeah. Okay. 08, 09. Uh, I think it was 09. On a snowy night and got a and got a spontaneous standing ovation. And that was really cool. But as far as I recall, and I might be wrong, but I don't recall a video tribute. It was hard on those small jumbotrons, though. But I liked it. But he there but, would have been one at Target Field. But it was cool that it was spontaneous. And my point is. Alex Tuck played six regular season games for this franchise. <laughs> That's he's a amazing. nice little prospect. Tuck, but to include him and welcome back, Eric and Alex, come give me a break. Uh, there need to be rules for this.